all these things started clicking for me and I got really excited about changing my life. And I decided I didn't want to do chemotherapy. I just realized like, you know, for me, for, for me right now, this is not what I want to be doing. Mm. Right. I got, I would rather rebuild my body, overdose on nutrition and do everything I could do to support health and healing versus uh, a therapy that is most certainly going to cause more destruction and devastation in my body. You're listening to Healthline, where you receive inspiring messages and helpful health tips. For over two decades, Modern Mana has empowered individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle, from health expos and detox programs to TV and radio shows. If you are ready to improve your health, then let's get started. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm excited to interview you because you have a story that is empowering the world. It brought a lot of encouragement to me to hear of an individual who is alive today after battling cancer. And for those of you who are not aware of Chris, Chris was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer in 2003 at the age of 26. I can't believe how young you were, Chris. He began sharing his story in 2010 with a mission to inspire people to take control of their health and reverse disease by radically transforming their diet and lifestyle. And Chris, I know you reach millions of individuals every single year through your podcasts, through your interviews, just like what you're doing here, and through your latest endeavor, your book, Chris Beat Cancer. This book is awesome. I just finished reading it, and man, did it open up my eyes to a whole new world of healing. And you can find Chris at his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. So Chris, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks, Daniel. It's good to be with you. I've received some emails, and I know you've probably received some emails as well. As far as, well, you know, that was just luck. Or Chris is alive today because he had cancer removed from his colon. But it's interesting because when I flipped your book over, these are your words right here, which I think is phenomenal. You said, I'm not lucky. There it is right there. I'm not lucky or special. I am just a regular guy who listened to his instincts, stepped out in faith, and took massive action to help his body heal. I eliminated everything in my life that may have contributed to my disease and changed the internal terrain of my body, making it a place where cancer could not thrive. What I did, I believe anyone can do, even you. So Chris, I know it wasn't luck because you said it right here. You eliminated everything in your life that could have contributed to disease. But what really resonates with me is you said, I stepped out in faith. And Chris, this is, I think, the only book that I have read where page after page after page, you talk about your faith and how Christ was working within your life. I love what it says right here in your book, page 218. It says, this is my verse. God is going to deliver me from this. In the verses, Psalm 34, 19. 
The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And I think that is so amazing because here you are today, cancer-free. And I totally believe the master physician, Jesus Christ, assisted you through this healing journey. So, Chris, Yes, he did. What were you going through at 26 years old? You had everything. You had just gotten married. You were doing well in real estate. And then this bomb hit you. This bomb being cancer. What were you experiencing? Could you kind of walk me through a little bit? What was your mindset then? Yeah, man. You know, anytime someone gets diagnosed with cancer, it's a huge shock, right? I mean, no one expects to get it. Maybe some people have a premonition or, you know, know they're, they're not well. And then the cancer diagnosis is kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I knew something was wrong. But for me, you know, I'd been having abdominal pain. I thought maybe I had an ulcer. Cancer never crossed my mind. 26, yeah. right? And so yeah, went in for a uh, colonoscopy because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And when I woke up from the procedure, they said, you've got a golf ball sized tumor in your large intestine. We took a biopsy. We're sending it to the lab and we'll let you know. Hopefully it's not cancer, but it could be. Mm -hmm. And a couple of days later, I got the call, man. They said, you've got colon cancer. I imagine that must have been life shattering. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, it changes your life forever. I mean, literally, it's like, you know, we joke about it in the cancer world as like BC and AD, you know, your life before cancer and your life after diagnosis. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it completely changes your life. You're, you'll never be the same person after a cancer diagnosis. And it conf you confront your m mortality in a way that you never have before. You know, of course, I know everybody dies. I'm going to die one day, but it forces you to rethink everything that you care about, re rethink your priorities, force me to confront everything in my life that was wrong uh, and take massive action to change those things. But I didn't come to that conclusion right away. You talk a lot about nutrition, but then you also talk about toxicity as well. And it, it made me think of the Gerson program, which I know you're familiar with because you mentioned it in your book. Back in the early 90s, my grandmother came down with cancer and my father, he went on a quest to find the cancer therapies, the alternative cancer therapies out there to assist my grandmother with her breast cancer that she was experiencing. And he went down to these cancer clinics in Mexico, one being Charlotte Gerson. And he's sitting down there with the cameraman because they were doing a documentary. And as they're sitting there, she she's lecturing and she goes you are what you and my father had learned because he was in the health food business you are what you eat and she looks down at him thinking my father was a reporter who was wanting to um, negatively show light on the gerson clinic and she goes young man you have it completely wrong she said it's not what you eat it's what you assimilate she said, if that nutrition cannot get into your cells, if your body cannot use the food that you're consuming, then what good is it? So I know you talk a lot about nutrition and you talk about cleansing and detoxifying the body and the elimination system as well. And you implemented a juicing program, right? I know your book talks about you went completely raw for a while. What happened was I, um, I was a very typical cancer patient in the beginning and I was rushed into surgery. And I was told if you don't do this, you know, the cancer is going to spread and kill you, uh, which is probably true, right? 
if I had kept living the way I was living, the, the cancer would have kept growing and spreading. And so I had surgery. They took out the tumor. took out a third of my colon. They took out a bunch of lymph nodes. And when I woke up from surgery, they said, you're stage 3C, which is worse than we thought. And you're going to need uh, 9 to 12 months of chemotherapy. So at that point, I was like, okay, you know, this is my life now. And um, they had, I had hoped that I could just have the surgery and then move on, get back to my normal life. You're the full-blown cancer patient now. Like, you're about to chemo is coming, right? So two things happened in the hospital that got me thinking a little bit differently. One is the very first meal that they served me mm. in the hospital after taking out a third of my large intestines was a sloppy joe. And the sloppy joe is like the worst cafeteria food you can think of, right? Like it's just horrible food and restaurants don't serve it. Nobody likes sloppy joes. The only place you can get a sloppy joe is summer camp, you know, the military and prison. Uh, and then apparently if you're sick with cancer in the hospital, you can get yourself a sloppy Joe. So, you know, I was just shocked by that. I just couldn't believe they were serving this like horrible food to cancer patients in the hospital. And, you know, I knew the difference between health food and junk food, you know, and, and I wasn't eating healthy by any means, but gosh, sloppy Joe is like the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> you know, in terms of just like horrible food. So not to mention the fact that red meat is a group two carcinogen from the International Agency for Research on Cancer, uh, World Health Organization. So they're feeding cancer causing food to a guy with cancer, right? And especially specifically colon cancer causing food to a guy with colon cancer. So, I mean, the irony of that is just unbelievable. Um, the second thing that happened was the day they told me I could go home, the surgeon came in to talk to me and, and I said, are there any foods I need to avoid? And he said, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. I'm starting to see some cracks in the foundation, right, of the medical industry. I'd never had any experience with conventional medicine, never been sick, n never taken prescription drugs in my life, except for like some antibiotics a couple times, you know, or whatever. But uh, I, I just realized like, wow, they're, they don't care what I eat. Right. They just basically gave me permission to go home and eat whatever I wanted. Right. Yeah. Including alcohol. Like, yeah, sure, man. Beer, whatever. Just don't strain yourself. So that didn't sit right with me. Um, I got home. I was recovering from surgery and my wife and I prayed and I just said, God, you know, I don't feel good about chemotherapy. I didn't have peace about it, but I didn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we need to listen to our instincts, listen to our intuition, listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. Like if something is telling you like this is not right, this is wrong. Don't do that. Like, you know, if you've got that little that still small voice. Right. That's mm -hmm. saying like, don't do that. So that's what that's what I had. Like, I just I, I just felt very weak and vulnerable. I was, un, you know, underweight, super skinny, uh, sick, you know, and I just knew like without any proof, I knew that chemotherapy was going to be so bad for me. Mm -hmm. So, and we know it's bad anyway. I mean, it's, it's toxic. It's highly toxic. Oh, yeah. uh, chemotherapy drugs, they, um, sure they do kill cancer cells and they shrink tumors. Um, but they also destroy vital organs, uh, in the process. Mm -hmm. They cause significant damage to your brain, liver, lungs, kidneys, uh, just your, your immune system, uh, they cause nerve damage, uh, intestinal damage, digestive system damage. I mean, it's just head to toe damage, right? 
And on top of that, a lot of chemotherapy drugs um, make cancer stem cells more aggressive. So they destroy your immune system and, and make the cancer more aggressive. So mm. after treatment's over, it comes rearing back and it spreads. I mean, everybody watching or listening has probably seen this happen to someone they care about. Like after treatment, the cancer just comes back with a vengeance and it's because their immune system's been weakened and the cancer is now more aggressive from treatment. So a lot of individuals go through chemotherapy, they go, okay, I'm cancer-free, I have a good bill of health. And then it comes back again. Yeah, because chemo works, it's a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Mm. And uh, the thing is, the thing about cancer, and, and, and you know, as I tell my story, obviously I'll get to this, but I, I just want to plant this seed. The, you don't have, you're not sick because you have cancer. You have cancer because you're sick. Yeah, it's a it's a head to toe problem, right? The, the the tumor, the one or two tumors or whatever, that's not the that's not the real problem. That's a symptom mm -hmm. of a bigger problem, right? Your body is weak, it's sick, your immune system is suppressed or not functioning right. Um, you're malnourished, uh, suffering from a lack of micronutrients that are so beneficial from fruits and vegetables, and um, and you might have viral, bacterial, parasitic infections. You might have an overload of heavy metal toxicity like mercury, lead, cadmium, and aluminum, uh, and arsenic. So there's a, there's a lot of contributing factors where cancer can thrive, right? So if you look at the body from a holistic perspective, you realize, okay, if you have tumors growing in your body, then your body has become a place where cancer can thrive. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is to create an environment internally where cancer cannot thrive, right? You've got to rebuild, right, and change the terrain. And we know science and medicine, they're, they're always talking about the terrain, especially in cancer research, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, their approach to uh, creating an environment where cancer cannot thrive is by injecting highly toxic drugs into the body, right? So these drugs are super toxic. They kill rapidly dividing cells, so many types of cancer cells, although they often don't kill cancer stem cells, which are the ones that cause all the tumors. Mm. But they kill all these sort of, uh, yeah, all these cancer cells that are not the stem cells. So you think of the stem cell as like the general, right? Or like the queen bee. Yeah of cancer. So, so the drugs, you know, they kill cancer cells, they shrink tumors in the short term, they can reduce a tumor to microscopic or not detectable on a scan. Mm -hmm. But, uh, what happens in the long term is you've made those cancer stem cells, right? More aggressive. And then they, and you've, like I said before, suppressed the immune system. So the other way of looking at healing is to create an environment where cancer cannot thrive by rebuilding your body. And I right? love this approach. By yeah, by improving your immune system, mm -hmm. by detoxifying your body, by um, correcting vital nutritional deficiencies, by pumping in all of these amazing anti-cancer compounds that are found naturally mm -hmm. in fruits and vegetables, legumes, nuts and seeds, whole grains, so food from the earth. There are thousands of anti-cancer phytonutrients in vegetables and fruit. So, and we're just not eating them. That's the problem. Oh yeah. 
So my goal was to create an environment where cancer could not thrive by rebuilding my body. I didn't like the idea of tearing my body down further, mm -hmm. like poisoning my way back to health with chemotherapy. Now, people often make the mistake uh, or they mischaracterize me as someone who is telling others not to do chemotherapy. And I'm actually not. Uh, it's a personal choice. Whatever treatment you do, it's your life, it's your health, your decisions. But I have a a burden and a mission to make sure people understand the risks and the benefits of treatment before they're rushed into it. You're not saying don't do it. You're saying this is the evidence and this is the research on why chemotherapy may not be the best approach. But it's ultimately your choice. Yeah, if you, yeah. And, and it's a matter of life and death for people. So, I mean, the, the sad thing is most patients are rushed into treatment and they have no idea what's about to happen to them. And they have all this hope and fingers crossed, right? Mm -hmm. And say our little prayers that these toxic drugs are going to cure my cancer, right? Um, but they're operating literally on pure hope. They have no idea like what the success rates are of the drugs they're being given, what the short-term and long-term side effects are. They have no idea mm. what's about to happen to them. And you need to be informed with knowledge before you make those kind of decisions. So yeah, a big part of the book is devoted to that, right? Just to help people understand like, here's what you're getting into. Here's what you should expect. Here are the risks and benefits, benefits of conventional treatment. Here are the perils and pitfalls. So I talk about that a lot in the book, but, um, uh, I'm digressing a little bit from the point, but the point is I wanted to build my body back up. I had this sense that I needed to to help myself get better. And so I prayed about it and I just said, God, what do I do? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And th the large message is if you have cancer, you need to assume that the way you're living is killing you. Mm. Only five to 10% of cancers are attributed to genetics. Mm. And we know that even genetics are influenced by our diet, lifestyle, and environment. So you could almost make the case that it's all cancers, you know, are, are caused by those things. But the point is, most cancers are, we know that, and that's good news, because then you realize, oh, wait a second, if, if my diet's causing my disease, if my lifestyle's causing my disease, those are things that I can change. Oh, absolutely. If there are environmental factors that are causing my disease, those are things I can probably get away from right? Like Absolutely. working in the chemical factory. So, um, so this was really empowering to me when I had this light bulb and I was like, man, I, I cancer's not bad luck, mm -hmm. right? It's it. I didn't get can, you know, cancer because I'm unlucky and I didn't get well because I'm lucky, mm. right? Luck is not a factor. It's not scientific. Scientists use the word luck all the time, which is weird to me, but there's nothing scientific about luck. It's just this, this sort of junk word that uh, scientists or researchers or doctors will use when they can't explain something, right? And they don't want to admit that the body healed, right? So they'll just say, well, you were just lucky, mm. right? All the other patients that have your type of cancer are dead, uh, but, but you are just lucky. You survived because of luck. And, and it's like, man, do you have any idea what I did to live, what I did to survive? I took massive action, changed my whole life. So, I can convert to a raw food diet, fruits and vegetables straight from the earth. That makes a lot of sense. Like that's like the most pure, unadulterated diet I, you know, that man can <laughs> consume, yeah, kind of, right? Kind of reversing everything that you were doing. Exactly. Because I was eating a fast food diet, processed food, junk food, you know, Dr. Pepper's, Wendy's, Pizza Hut, Subway, 
Chick-fil-A, like, you know, name, name a fast food restaurant. Like I was a fast food and junk food yeah. connoisseur. And, uh, for most people, it doesn't, it takes many, many decades for eating that way to catch up, to catch mm -hmm. up to them and wreck their health. But for me, genetically or whatever, it got me early. So I converted overnight to raw food only organic raw food diet, tons of fruits and vegetables and drinking tons of vegetable juice every day. Of course, I talk about this in detail in the book. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, set about changing the, my, my entire life beyond just the diet. I started exercising. Yeah. I started addressing stress in my life. I removed all the toxic stuff from my home. You know, everything sort of became a suspect. You know, it's like when you're investigating a, a crime scene or investigating a murder, everyone's a suspect, right? Mm -hmm. In the beginning. And so I kind of took that approach in my own health. I'm like, everything's a suspect. Is it, you know, polluted air in my home? Is it chemicals I'm exposed to? I was in real estate renovating houses. Like, is it paint fumes? Is it solvents? Is it, you know, floor varnish? All oh, this is not good. It can't be helping. Uh, and then is it my body care products? Is it our home cleaning products? So I'm just like systematically removing every single toxic thing from my life, right? And it wasn't one thing, right? It's not like, oh, it was the deodorant that caused my cancer. But when you look at your life from, from you kind of step back and look at the big picture, all of those little toxic exposures yes. add up, mm -hmm. right? An accumulation. All the little stuff, yeah, it all adds up to a big thing, right? Like you, you can throw a lot of little sticks in, you know, in one spot and all of a sudden you got yeah. a big pile of sticks. So I, uh, so I just started systematically changing my life and doing everything I could do to promote health and healing and removing everything I could find and figure out that might be promoting disease. Mm. And the, the goal again was to change the internal terrain of my body, to make it a place where cancer couldn't thrive and to boost my immune system. And boost is a weird word, but really just to empower my immune system, your natural killer cells are designed to identify and eliminate cancer cells, yes. among other things like bacteria and viruses too. That's what they do. And so if cancer cells are growing in the body unchecked, it means your immune system is either suppressed or it's overloaded, right? Like it's distracted, it's too busy dealing with all this other crap that's going on in there, you know? Imagine like your immune system is like, you know, the security guards, a team of security guards in a warehouse, you know, and if you've got all these thieves trying to break in all the time, I, you know, it's like somebody's going to slip through. Yeah. So I, um, all these things started clicking for me and I got really excited about changing my life and I decided I didn't want to do chemotherapy. I just realized like, you know, for me, for, for me right now, this is not what I want to be doing. Mm. Right. I got, I would rather rebuild my body, overdose on nutrition and do everything I could do to support health and healing versus a uh, therapy that is most certainly going to cause more destruction and devastation in my body. I like how you mentioned rebuild the body because in one of your chapters, you talk about how the body can self-repair itself, but then you yeah. step back and you go, okay, why do I keep creating the same me? year after year, day after day, exactly what you're saying by what we're putting in our mouth through the environmental toxins as well. And like you mentioned, it's not just one or two things. It's the accumulation of many different things. Right. 
your body is built out of what you eat and absorb, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, or assimilate, same word, I mean, same definition. And you are what you ate, right? And it's like, man, I've been eating crap for Mm -hmm. years and no wonder, right? What would happen if I give my body the best raw materials available, right, to rebuild with? What would happen? So I went from eating one to two servings of fruits and vegetables per day to eating between 15 and 20 servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. That sounds crazy, but it really, it's really not. Uh, When you stop eating animal food and junk food and processed food, and you just focus on fruits and vegetables, if you eat three meals a day, you, it's easy to eat 12 servings, right? A serving is only half a cup. So a serving of vegetables, serving of fruits, only half a cup. So it's easy, easy to eat three or four servings, five servings in one meal of fruits or vegetables or both. And so three meals, there you go. You're already at 10 to 12 servings, maybe more if, if you eat a lot. And then I was juicing throughout the day. And so that added more servings to the mix, right? And um, again, I was just, I wanted to overdose on nutrition. I just thought I'm going to put so much good stuff in my body that it just can't help but get well right? Like I'm going to force it to heal with all this good stuff. Uh, so that's what I said about doing. Now I had a bunch of family pressure, unfortunately, who people who love me, but they didn't understand. I thought I'd lost my mind mm. and, uh, they pressured me to go see the oncologist, even though I just wasn't feeling like it was the right decision for me at the time. And by the way, you know, I had kind of put it on the back burner, right? So it was like, it wasn't like I said, I'm never doing chemo, right? I just thought, uh, you know, I can always do that later, but I really want to do this now. Mm-hmm. And so, man, we go to the cancer clinic and we had, it just went very badly. You know, we met, I talk about it in the book, but yeah. this oncologist was just, just treated us so badly. He basically told me I had a 60% chance of living five years with treatment, which is not very encouraging. He told me if I didn't do chemotherapy, I was insane. Mm. He told me there were no alternative alternative therapies available. And he even said, uh, he said, look, man, I'm not telling you this because I need your business. Mm. And we left that appointment just terrified. I mean, he, he effectively used fear oh, to man. manipulate me. And, and uh, convinced me to say yes to chemotherapy. I made an appointment to get a port put in in a few weeks. Cancer clinics are often just fear factories. So much fear in so those places. And Basically, if you don't do chemo, you're a dead man. That was kind of their message? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the message, absolutely. If you don't do what I say, you're going to die. Mm. And there's nothing else you can do. And here's the real tragedy. The real, like almost, it, it's, it's, it's borderline malpractice. It disgusts me, frankly. But this is what patients come in. They meet with their oncologist. They're almost all asking this question. Why did I get cancer? Like, wh- what caused this? Like, what, right? We live in a cause and effect world. Everybody wants to know. Like, why did I get cancer? And they're almost always told, well, we don't know what caused your cancer, but it may be hereditary or genetic if you have family history. Uh, if you don't have family history, it could still be genetic. Uh, or you know, you just maybe you're just unlucky. 
and they, you know, they pat him on the shoulder and they give him a hug and they say, but it's going to be okay. We're, we're going to do our best to take care of you. Right. And it's nothing you did. Mm. Okay. It's not, this is not your fault. We don't want you to, to think it's your fault. Uh, and what the message underneath that is, because there's nothing you did to contribute to, to your situation. There's nothing you can do to help yourself. You are a powerless victim of disease. That's what you are. And your only hope is us. Mm. We are your only hope. And here's your sloppy Joe, by the way. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. And by the way, yes, absolutely. Go home and eat whatever you want. And no, you don't have to quit smoking. Seriously, you don't need to lose weight if you're overweight. Mm. Don't have to quit smoking. We, in fact, here's a here is a helpful pamphlet of foods you should be eating during chemo, which includes uh, ice cream and milkshakes. So, uh, and of course, any food that uh, causes cancer uh, is not excluded from that list. Mm. Uh, here's the crazy stats that people don't know. Number one, bacon causes cancer. Processed meats are a group one carcinogen. Oh yeah. Group one, that's the highest level of evidence. Smoking causes cancer and processed meats cause cancer. They're both group one carcinogens. Think of all the hot dogs and hamburgers that are being eaten on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah, bacon, sausage, hot dogs, jerky, you know, uh, deli meats, lunch meats, ham. Processed meats cause cancer. It's mm. it's not even, an, it's not, they might cause, they do cause. We know it. Uh, cigarettes cause cancer. We know it. The number two cause, the second leading cause of cancer is obesity. Mm. Obesity. Yeah. So, but uh, are cancer patients who are overweight told that obesity is probably the cause of their cancer? No, because doctors don't want to hurt their feelings. Mm. Are they told that their cigarette smoking habit probably caused their cancer? Nope, because doctors don't want to hurt their feelings. So, uh, and by the way, cigarettes don't just cause lung cancer. They cause lots of different types of cancer in the body. Because when you smoke, toxic carcinogens are entering your lungs and then from there into your bloodstream and circulating throughout your whole body. So they they poison you, right? You know, your whole body. Slowly killing so, yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and yes, there are people who my oh, I know somebody who smoked till he was 95 and he never got cancer. Mm. It's true. There are outliers, right? There are people who smoked their whole life and didn't get cancer. But the odds are not in your favor that that's going to be you, right? Mm. The odds are if you smoke, you are going to get cancer. So, um, and especially now, one out of every two men get cancer. One out of every two men. So half of men are predicted to get cancer and uh, a third of women. That's huge. So, one yeah, it's huge. Two. I mean, yeah, half of half of everyone you know, <laughs> right? It's like half of the guys you know are going to get it in their lifetime, and a third of the women you know, and that number is actually increasing. It's it's approaching half the women are going to get cancer, and it's because of these factors, mainly uh, smoking, which smoking's down, and cancer rates from smoking are dropping because less people smoke. So that's good. That's good. Uh, but obesity is really the the big driver that's about to take over cigarettes, it's being overweight and obese. Here's why. When you're overweight, you are um, 
there's, there's a lot of different factors that happen, but when you have excess body fat, fat cells produce excess hormones that circulate in your body, like excess estrogen, for example. And so, uh, extra body fat produces excess estrogen. It pr promotes excess inflammation in the body, which creates an environment where cancer cells can thrive is in, in an inflammatory environment. Mm. And this is the crazy thing. When you're fat, your natural killer cells, your immune cells, are also fat. Really? Yeah, really. Your natural killer cells take up extra lipids, fatty acids, and they become clogged and bloated and sluggish. This is published, this isn't Chris's wacky theory, this yeah. is published research, okay? And so, and they basically just become ineffective. So imagine your immune cell, I mean, your immune system is an army of cells that are uh, charged with defending your body, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if your army is all a bunch of fat people? Is that the army you want in your body? Oh, yeah. No wonder why right? you're getting sick. Right. I mean, you know, if you have an army of, of all obese soldiers, they're going to be like huffing and puffing like, oh, I'm tired. Like, oh, I see the enemy, but oh man, I got to sit there. Just give me, I got to catch my breath, you know? Yeah. So that's what's happening. Okay. That those are some of the ways that kind of the three ways that obesity contributes to cancer. It's such a big deal. And by the way, this is not fat shaming. Like, you know, if you're overweight, it's just because you live in a rich country, right? If you're overweight, it's because you live in a rich nation and you have an abundance of food, right? And it's delicious. I get it. Okay. I get it. And some people gain weight more easily than others. I get that too. But the reality is, um, this is, this is me saying this in love, speaking the truth in love mm -hmm. that being overweight and obese contributes to, to, I mean, contributes in a huge way to your cancer risk, heart disease, and diabetes risk. You're going to get one of those three, if not multiple of those three diseases, if you live many years or decades as an overweight or obese person. So this is me trying to motivate your audience to get serious about eating tons of fruits and vegetables and exercising, right? Being active because we're even more sedentary now. That contributes to obesity too, right? Eating too much food, junk food, and being sedentary. Mm. So uh, love yourself. Make a decision to love yourself enough that you will put good stuff in your body and that you'll exercise and do things that are maybe difficult and that you don't enjoy in the beginning um, because they will pay big dividends down the road. So anyway, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, but these are simple ideas, right? Diet and exercise, huge, right? They can promote health or disease depending on what your diet looks like and whether or not you exercise. Oh, yeah. So... So the way you transformed your diet was raw food, large salads, and juices. Yeah, giant salads. All vegetables are amazing, but there are two families of vegetables that have the highest amount concentrations of known anti-cancer compounds. And the first one is the allium family, which is garlic, onions, and leeks. Garlic is the most potent anti-cancer food, period. And we don't eat enough garlic. The second group are the crucifers. The cruciferous vegetables, that's broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, even horseradish and wasabi, they're in there too. So uh, spinach is amazing. Beets are fantastic. Carrots are awesome. Like, you know, all vegetables are amazing, okay? Peppers, mushrooms are great for immune function. 
Um, so, and legumes are just incredible. Like starchy vegetables, like, um, whole grain rice, whole grains like teff and spelt mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and potatoes are all amazing. They actually, they actually ferment in the gut and produce butyrate feed gut bacteria, uh, and meat and dairy feed bad gut bacteria. And that good gut bacteria is what protects you from colon cancer among other things. So, uh, anyway, I'm getting a little off course, but the point I'm, I'm making my way around, uh, to is, um, I, yeah, I, I focused on eating tons of those anti-cancer vegetables and that was what the giant salad was made of. Mm. Right. So it wasn't just like a bunch of lettuce and like bacon bits and ranch dressing. Right. (laughs) Right. So, so yeah, I ate giant salads. Just, I was just, just consuming massive amounts of that. And I was hundred uh, percent raw for 90 days. And then I modified it. It started eating a little more cooked food just for the calories. So I was eating more starchy vegetables, which I realized was really great for me. Mm. And, um, and just modified along the way, found a naturopathic doctor, found an integrative MD to work with and slowly built a team, mm. uh, you know, around me to support me, which was great. In the beginning, it was very tough nobody understood. And I was very much alone. But once I stepped out in faith, uh, God met me where I was. Like he supplied all my needs, Mm. right? That's a promise that he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he did. He supplied all my needs. And it was scary, right? I mean, it was just like, it was like Peter stepping out of the boat, man. You know, he stepped out of the boat and that was scary. And that's what I felt like. Like the boat is like safety and security and it's what you know and you're surrounded by people, right? And when you step out of that boat, man, it's just you and Jesus, mm. like nobody else, right? And it's like, so that's that's what it felt like. It was like, it's me and you, Jesus. I got nobody else. I'm just fixing my eyes on you. Like, I, you got to see me through this. You got to carry me through the waves, the storm. Like, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't want to die a fool. And uh, so you got my attention, and <laughs> please, like, you know, deliver me. Mm. And I was, and I, it wasn't, I, I mean, of course I was saying, please deliver me, but I was also choosing to believe that he would. Mm. Right. And that's, that's really where the, the rubber meets the road. When we're talking about faith, faith isn't just, please help me. Right. Faith is saying your word says mm-hmm. the righteous may suffer many afflictions, but you deliver them from them all. That's what your word says. So I'm going to choose to believe that, right? I'm choosing to believe it. That's what faith is, choosing to believe, Mm -hmm. not hoping. Now, faith and hope are two different things, right? So um, so I I had to just retrain my brain and and capture my thought life and start believing what the word said, Mm -hmm. right? Like believing that it was true, believing that uh, Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to work this for my good. He's going to deliver me. By his stripes, I'm healed. So the other part that I have to talk about, and I know we're probably getting close to the end of our time here, is the stress component. Because stress is a root cause of most chronic disease. Mm. And it's so under-talked about, under-reported, understudied, but stress was really a driver. And I talk about it in the book. There's a whole chapter about it in the book. 
but it's a driver of destructive behavior. Stress leads us to destructive behavior. And one of those things is overeating, mm. right? Many people overeat or smoke or drink because it is their way of self-medicating, right? They're, 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 they have pain that they're carrying. They have frustration. They have stress. They have unhappiness that, that they're carrying. And they're using those things to self-medicate. Mm -hmm. And overeating, alcohol, drugs, tobacco... Uh, sex addiction, um, workaholism, all of those things are destructive behaviors when done in excess. And so some of them are just destructive at any level. So stress was a huge thing. And I realized I was chronically in, under stress. And every cancer patient I've talked to, I've talked to thousands now, they all have chronic stress in their life, like major stressful stuff in their life leading up to their diagnosis. Usually they have a lot of chronic day-to-day -day stress from relationships, from work, from uh, financial stuff, and then they'll have some major catastrophic events that happen in their life, mm. like loss of a loved one, divorce, a breakup, loss of a business, right? And so all of these things add up, and, and really when you're under that much stress, it suppresses your immune system. Mm, yeah, I really, so that's liked, the, I really liked that chapter because you talked about stress, but you also talked about forgiveness. And yeah, man. I think it's interesting because an author, she once wrote that nine-tenths of all disease has the origin in the mind. And you think how so many individuals are holding on to bitterness, anger, resentment, remorse, whatever it may be, that could also be contributing to their disease. And I know you Absolutely. Those... a lot of that in your book as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, that's what I, I was making my way toward that point, which is all of those emotions that you mentioned, and there's more, insecurity, self-doubt, oh, prejudice, yeah. all negative thoughts produce negative emotions in the body, and those negative emotions produce a stress response in the body where your body secretes stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Yeah. And those hormones, when they're at chronically elevated levels unhealthy levels promote inflammation, mm. promote weight gain, and suppress your immune system. Mm. So full circle here, right? Yeah. Beginning of the, our conversation, I was talking about suppressed immune function, right? Leading to cancer. And stress suppresses your immune system. Mm. And so once I connected all these dots, I was like, oh my gosh, like it all makes sense to me now. And I need to clean up my life. I've got to, what do I need to do to remove stress from my life? And I talk about all the steps I took in the book. There's not enough time to explain it all. But one big one that I want to leave your audience with is forgiveness. Mm. Because if you're carrying bitterness and resentment toward people who've hurt you in the past, you are slowly poisoning yourself. Right? Those are toxic emotions that will lead to disease. Mm -hmm. And so today, there's never been a better day than today to decide, make the decision to forgive, mm -hmm. to forgive the people who've hurt you, all of them, every person who has hurt you, not just the ones that are easy to forgive, the ones that are tough to forgive are the ones you have to forgive. Mm. And so 
uh, forgiveness is misunderstood. It's not explained well, I think, in churches or almost anywhere. <laughs> but forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. You choose to forgive. And what does that choice look like? It means I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. That's what forgiveness is. You make that choice. And what I do in a prayerful way is I just say, God, you know, I do it by name, right? So say John. Mm -hmm. God, you know, I'm thinking about John. He, you know, lied to me or cheated me over in business or whatever, right? You know what he did. You know how I feel about it. I'm still mad. I'm upset. I just, you know, I'm still mad, but I'm choosing to forgive and I'm letting it go and I'm giving it to you. So powerful. He's all yours, right? Mm -hmm. It's like he is all yours. You can deal with him. I'm not going to hold it against him anymore. I'm just going to lay this down at the feet of Jesus, laying down my anger. I'm laying down my bitterness. I'm laying down my resentment and I'm done with it, mm. right? I'm done with it. And so that's it. That's the process. And if you really want to seal the deal, then you also, you know, uh, need to ask God to bless that person, oh, yeah. right? This is so powerful. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Right? And so even though it's okay, God knows you don't want him to, <laughs> right? He knows. Right? He knows you would rather them get struck by lightning or incarcerated or punished in some really gratifying way. But uh, when you ask him to bless the people who've hurt you, despite your feelings, I, I feel like it really just unlocks your heart. It opens it up, right, for, for God to just come in and heal those wounds and that injury, right, for him to heal your heart. Because a sick heart will produce a sick body. And the, the only way to heal your heart is through forgiveness. Mm. Jesus, yeah. Jesus talked about it, I mean, over and over, right? I mean, he talked about it in some very specific ways, right? He said, if you don't forgive on earth, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Mm. That's pretty serious, right? The disciples, one of his disciples asked him, how, well, how often should we forgive? And he said, 70 times seven, which is a huge number. And who's going to keep count, right? Oh, yeah. The point is, it's not like, oh, you know, we get to whatever it is, 449 or I don't know how many that, how mm -hmm. many, <laughs> calculator out. But the point is not that at that point, if they, they screw you over that many times and now you can finally not forgive. The point is you just keep forgiving, mm. right? Keep forgiving. And even when he was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, Father, forgive them mm. for they know not what they do. On the cross, I mean, do you think he felt like forgiving anyone when he's on the cross, nailed to it, dying, yeah. suffering, more than any person watching or listening to this has ever suffered in their life? Like, that's the last thing Jesus wanted to do was forgive anybody. But he made the choice, right, in that moment as an example to us, right? He forgave his enemies. He forgave the people that crucified him, nailed him to a cross, without being convicted of anything, any wrongdoing, right? So, man, like, first of all, I mean, gosh, how can you not love Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, how can you just not love Jesus? But uh, but beyond that, yeah, the forgiveness thing is huge, right? It was a huge part of his ministry. We, we just have to do it. Like, it's we have to do it for us. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. And um, 
And so, and even I skipped one, but the Lord's prayer, you know, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. Part of the Lord's prayer is uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Right. So it's just, there's a forgiveness thread throughout Jesus's entire ministry and it's good life advice. (laughs) So that's what I did, man. I just worked through all the people that have hurt me in life one by one in a prayerful, you know, quiet setting, you know, eyes closed, just thinking through my life. And I just forgave them one by one. And now, believe me, people still hurt my feelings. They insult me. They attack me. They criticize me. They let me down. They, you know, uh, and I just have made a decision to live my life in a way where I'm quick to forgive. Right. I just, I don't keep, keep a chip on my shoulder. I don't hold on to resentments. I just, People do me wrong sometimes, and I just catch myself right away, and I say, I don't like this, but you know what, God? They're all yours. I forgive them. Bless them. Just let them. I'm just going to let it go. You can deal with them, and uh, I'm not going to hold on to it. Yeah. So this is stuff anybody can do. I think that is so fabulous. Years ago, I read uh, what a, a psychologist once wrote, and it was about forgiveness. And he had a prayer in there, and he said, um, Dear God, I choose to release, and you insert the name, from the chains of bondage that I have in my heart. And ultimately, we're keeping that person captive. And when we choose not to forgive, it eats at our body. So that was very pivotal in your healing journey. But one other thing you mentioned was the fight to live. And I thought that was really neat. Um, you know who Patch Adams is, I, I imagine. Um, he wrote a foreword for a book years ago. It was on cancer. And he was talking about a cancer patient who said, essentially he said, Lord, let me live one more day with cancer because I like what I have become. And it was interesting because he went on to say that individual started to open his eyes and realize, look at what I have. I have family, I have friends. I have joys in my life that I didn't recognize before. And it was through his fight to live, he realized, wait a second, I'm able to enjoy life and experience love like I've never experienced before. And I know you share about that in your book as well, which is so beneficial. Man, that's so good. I love that quote. I've never heard it, but I I I can identify with it uh, because uh, cancer taught me gratitude. Mm. Right? It opened my eyes to realize how good life was, how precious life is, how it could be over and gone in an instant. You know, we all have those reminders when people we love die. Right? How how fragile life is. Yeah. But when your own mortality is threatened, it just gives you such clarity on what matters in life Mm -hmm. and what doesn't, right? Bitterness and resentment doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, what matters, people who love you matter, right? Your light, your health matters. There's just having food and shelter. I mean, just having your basic needs met is something I had taken for granted my whole life. Man, we're just blessed. I grew up in America. I know. You know what I mean? Middle-class America. I've never had, I've never lacked anything. Mm. You know what I mean? I've never lacked food. I've never lacked clothing. I've never had to sleep on the street. 
You know what I mean? It's like I was able to go to high school and college. I, you know, it's just I had a wife who loved me. Um, it's just my I had parents who loved me, friends who loved me. You know, it's just like I just was, man, I'm, I've got so much good in my life, so many good things, so many blessings, and I have taken them for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not happy about cancer. It's, it doesn't make me happy. Right. It doesn't make me feel good. And it's it's scary and it's producing stress and anxiety when I think about it and I think about what the future might hold. But anytime that fear and anxiety would creep in, I would quickly catch it and I would shift my focus to gratitude. And I would say, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to focus on fear. I'm not going to focus on worrying about the future. I'm just going to be thankful for today. That is awesome. A practicing gratitude and Thanksgiving every day is so huge. I mean, it is so powerful. It actually, gratitude actually releases uh, dopamine and serotonin, like feel good hormones in your brain. So choose like to be pro- happy. Yeah, it produces happiness. The practice of gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just stop and say, okay, what do I have to be thankful for? And like, I'm thankful. I can see, I can hear. I, I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm not dying in a hospital right now. I'm not fighting in a war, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not fleeing from my life, for my life from like invaders, right? I mean, and then you just, you just, you can talk, I can talk for 12 hours just listing the things in my life that are good. And then, but it doesn't take long. It just takes, you know, about a minute or two of just thinking about the good things in your life and saying, thank you, God, that your, your attitude changes, your mood changes, like everything changes so quickly. Your outlook changes so I learned to do that, right? I learned to do that. I taught myself to do it. It's just a practice like anything else. The more you do it, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works, man. Gratitude is the secret to happiness. It really is. awesome. You know, the Bible as, says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Praise you God. Know? You know, as I was reading your book, uh, I have it written down here, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It kept rolling through my head as I was reading your book. And I said, man, that is so true. It says, and he said unto unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And you think, man, through the depths of of despair, through cancer, through other diseases, we could focus on Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. I just, I thank you so much for allowing me to interview you today. It certainly just, you know, brings me a lot of joy and gratitude to hear your story and your personal testimony of how your life completely was transformed, emotionally, physically, and spiritually as well. So brother, keep up the good work. Continue sharing your message. And for those who are listening, if you haven't already, pick up Chris's book, Chris Beat Cancer because it's touched my life, and I know it will touch yours as well. So, Chris, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you have been motivated by this show. To connect with us and receive more information, you can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and modernmana.org. See you next time.